Well, church, our purpose statement is uh, to equip people to pursue Christ passionately to impact the culture. We want to equip people to think biblically, to know the Word of God, to love the Word of God, to, to use that to, to form a world and life view that's honoring to the Lord. Uh, and part of that equipping is to passion pursue Christ so that we can continuously impact our culture and the cultures of the world. So one thing that we are absolutely thrilled about is, is the opportunity of being involved in a world mission that is glorious and embraceive and calls forth our best. And we send people to the ends of the world. We send people to, to unreached people groups. We, we want to claim the campuses in this country for Christ, the cities. So, so part of that is our world missions offering at Christmas called Lottie Moon. And we're going to be taking up for two more weeks. And our goal this year was a half million dollars worth 465000 So thanks be to God for that. But, you know, let's pray that we'll hit our $500,000 goal, which I thought was a huge stretch, and I'm thrilled to death where we are, but it'd be great to, to, to knock it out. So please hear that. The stewardship of life says that everything we do has significance as we do it unto the Lord, that we're called of God to be his people. And, and, and so our responsibility is to live responsibly, is to walk in faithfulness. And I, as we were singing in this room a while ago, this hymn, Amazing Grace, that's become kind of the theme song for the Christian faith in our culture, written in 1773 by a man named John Newton. Interesting story, just thought of it. We were singing, John Newton had a dear, dear, dear friend who lived with him for years named William Cooper, who struggled with deep depression. He tried to commit suicide at least three times. He just was consumed with depression. Newton's dear friend, in, in the midst of one of his deep depressions on a snowy New Year's Eve night, John Newton wrote down a hymn, Amazing Grace, for his friend. So his friend would read it and be encouraged. His friend refused to read it. And John Newton wrote down, I guess I failed in writing this hymn, Amazing Grace. <laughs> failed. The issue is we're called to be faithful and to leave the results with God. And as, as we understand the character of God, we have great thoughts about the God who is and who has spoken and who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we seek God, as we passionately pursue Him, Psalm 24 says this, says, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And then the psalmist says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. So we, we, we seek him. We glory in him. And so as we come this morning to this First Peter once again, 1 Peter chapter 4, as the background of stewardship of life, there's a story about a young man who was very handsome, he was a man of great competence, he was a man of wisdom, he was sold into slavery by his brothers because they were jealous of him. He goes to a large estate, and he works, and he is recognized for his talent, and he is elevated to the leader of this estate. 
the, the man who owned the estate trusted him so much he would go on extensive business trips and leave everything under the watch care of this young man. The man who owned the estate had a wife, and she started looking at this very handsome man, and she took a fancy for him. And so she would cry out to him, come, have an immoral relationship with me. Please, come. And of course, the man's name was Joseph, and Joseph heard this. The Bible says day after day she would ask him to have an immoral relationship. And Joseph looked at her, and he said the following. He did, he said something. Okay, here we go. It'll be up there in a second. It's in, it's in, yeah, here we go. It's in Genesis 39. He says, uh, no one in this estate is more powerful than me. And, said, and your husband has entrusted me with everything. He's kept nothing back from me except you. Because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? See, as I read that recently, I thought, there's the rub for the stewardship of life. Joseph ultimately said, I live before God, the God who is, the God who has revealed himself, the God who has spoken. I live before the God of my fathers. And I'm saying in our culture today that people may look at this situation and say, I, I'm not going to do this great wickedness or this great sin or this great, great stupidness. I'm not going to do that. But, but rarely do we think and sin against God. It's the eclipse of God. The eclipse of understanding that we walk before God and we live as responsible people before the living God who's gifted us. There's a book called The Eclipse of Heaven by a man who used to teach at Charleston Southern who, who died of leukemia, a dear man named Chip Conyers. And he tells the story of going to a celebration in Dorchester County at an old church. And there are various tourists there from, you know, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina. They were just there, the part of this celebration. And they went to a graveyard, and the guy who was leading it stopped the grave of a man who died in the 1700s. And he, he opened the Book of Common Prayer. And he started reading from the Book of Common Prayer, and he, he read this section with, with a great dramatic flourish. He said, man that is born of a woman hath but a short time to live. In the midst of life we are in death. Of whom may we seek for strength but thee, O Lord, who for our sins are justly displeased. Thou knowest, Lord, the secrets of our hearts. Shut not thy merciful ears to us and to our prayers, but spare us. Suffer us not at the last hour for many pains of death to fall away from thee. In his book, he says, the man finished that, and he looked up, and he closed the book of common prayer, and he winked. He winked. He said, Jim says, I, I was aghast. And what he was saying is, you know, they may have believed that in the book of common prayer when it was written, you know, in the 17th. We don't believe that now. We don't believe that now. He winked. And then I did some research, and I love weddings. I do. But this is how weddings used to begin, you know, among believers. Dearly beloved, we are gathered together in the, here in the sight of God in the face of the company of these witnesses for an event that is not to be taken lightly, but know this, but, but entered into reverently, discreetly, and advisedly in the fear of God. Now today, 
in good evangelical services, it goes something like this. There's, there's a shift. Don't you see the shift? Dear friends, we're gathered together for a time of worship and celebration as two significant people pledge themselves to a relationship that is to be mutually fulfilling and encouraging and requires a lifelong commitment of love. That's, that's, that's good. But you see, the concept in the face of God is taken out. We walk before God. That, that, and I'll just say that even, even in our minds, even those of us who are followers of Christ, there's been an eclipse of the concept of the reality of God. It's, it's not what it was. So this stewardship of life calls us back to understand the concept of God. You see, it's, it's not the anti-God statements that people make, but, but, but it's the statements that God is an undefinable force that blesses me that really gets under my skin. Because something that is undefinable and cannot be quantifiably stated is going to be ultimately irrelevant. I was reading recently about an entertainer that you know was raised in the Baptist context. His granddaddy was a Baptist minister. And he's walked away from his background. He said this, I'm not a religious person anymore, but I'm very spiritual. Now, we would say that's doublespeak. But what he's saying is a religious person defines God and understands that the concept of God as a reality. He says, I, God to me is just kind of some amorphous force that I, that I define. Let's be very clear. Very clear. We believe that God is eternal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has acted in history and that God has spoken. First Peter says that. First Peter talks about, about the glory of our salvation. He talks about God acting in history. And he says in chapter 1, he says, he says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves, but you, you, the, the church in the first century, you, the people of God who lived this side of, of the cross and the resurrection and the outpoured Holy Spirit. They were, they were, they were, they were serving you as they announced the coming of Christ. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has acted in history and he has spoken. And that's who we are. And so we come to this passage of 1 Peter where he says in chapter 4, verse 7, the end of all things is near, therefore, be self-controlled and alert so that you can pray, so you can worship, so that you can think rightly. Above all, love each other earnestly because love covers over a multitude of sins. You're called to relationship. You're called to be the people of God. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Live it out loud. And in the passage today, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever serves, let him, whoever, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterings of God. Whoever serves, let him do so by the strength that God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, 
to whom belongs glory, dominion forever and ever. I mean, we are a composite of fits and starts and stops and goings. We are full of mixed motivations, but we need to be crystal clear on some things. One thing preeminently, the chief in the man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Clear on that. The, the fits and starts we have are clearly revealed recently in this great city, the city of Boston. The city of Boston, uh, 10 months ago, the city council got together and said, we want to, incur- we want to fight obesity in America. So this city of the Red Sox and the Celtics and the Patriots and other professional teams, hockey teams that don't really count, but you know, they have professional teams. <laughs> the, these, the, the, the city council got together and says, we as a city want to lose one million pounds. I don't know how they determined that, but we want, to use, we want as a city to lose one million pounds. And so they had this huge fair in the town square. They had a nutritional post, they had lectures, they had how to work out the, the benefit of, of, of walking, so forth and so on, made a huge city-wide event, a glorious four-day event. Just fast forward 10 months later, they, they've lost 74,000 pounds, so they've achieved 7% of their goals, supposedly, so they're bemoaning that. But, but part of the problem is they cleared the town square out, and then the, Two days later, they had, it's true, they had the Scooper Bowl. <laughs> the Scooper Bowl, billed as the nation's largest all-you-can-eat ice cream festival. <laughs> See, that's the problem, you know? They've, we're fit, we're fit, and over here. If they had moose tracks, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm dead. And it's the Scooper Bowl. Largest ice cream festival, open to the city, all-you-can-eat ice cream festival. I thought, that's just, that's just like us. So we have these mixed things, but we need to be clear about one thing. When we speak, when we serve, we do so with the strength that God supplies so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. That's who we are. That's the, that's the stewardship of life. We have a glorious, life-embracing purpose. Chapter 2, verse 9. You're, you're a royal people, a, a holy priesthood, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness. That's who we are. As compared to people who have walked away from the reality of God, people that have no concept of God. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims in this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Peter says, don't live the way your culture lives in the area of your sexuality because it will destroy your soul. And then he says over in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, it's time to be rid of these things like like drunkenness and orgies and, and drinking parties. And he says, with respect to this, verse 4, they, the culture around you, they are absolutely surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and so they make fun of you or they malign you. He says this, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. We walk before God. We, we deal with, with the God who is. And that's who we are. So, so we, we believe that God is, that God has spoken. 
and that God is gloriously good. We believe there's a purpose in our life that's, that's bigger than us. It's called the kingdom of God. Stewardship of life. There's a book that was published eight years ago. It's called Younger Next Year. It's a good little book. It's about how to stay young. It's amazing what you read as you get older. <laughs> and it's written by two men. It's, it's a well, well thought through book, but they're, they're secularists. They believe that we're here by, by happenstance and we should make the best out of what we have. But they talk about seven rules for healthy, fulfilling living. It's very interesting. And the first three are about exercise, so I won't bore you with that. Rule number four is spend less than you make. Okay. Rule number five is quit eating junk. Rule number six is care. Rule number seven is connect and commit. They talk about people that are in long-term relationships called marriage and they care for each other are more healthy and they live a more harmonious life. And this just fits into the rubric of God's revealed truth. But number six was, was care. And this is what th they said about rule number six. It says, we recommend that we get involved in the, the kind of caring that satisfies what may be a core element of our rational brain as well as our essential human character. We believe that we were built to aspire to things beyond the interest of ourselves and our immediate pack to care in that exalted sense. There is at least a possibility that this higher caring is what being a human and having a reasoning mind is all about. I said, that's the kingdom of God for us. We're made for a higher purpose than just ourselves, just our own pursuits, just our own career advancement or our own feeling good. We're made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. We're made to be seekers of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're called to be responsible people as we speak and serve in the strength that God supplies. So that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, that he'd get the glory. That, that, that's who we're called to be. And, and, and so he says, the, says here that serve one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, of the varied grace of God, of, the multifaceted grace of God that could be talking about spiritual gifts. It could be talking about appreciating and glorying in the goodness of all that Christ is for us. I think it could be both. So, so I'll just say this. May we not forget the glory of Christ. That, that, that stewardship begins in part in continually glorying in the goodness of Christ and what he has done for us. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow. Redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. 
renews your youth life. He renews, he restores, he blesses. I thought about the hymn, Jesus, what a friend of sinners, Jesus, Lord of my soul. But the refrain is this, Jesus, saving, helping, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me to the end. Do I, do I really, do, do I sing that in my spirit? Follower of Christ, do not forget the multiple grace of Christ poured in your life. Because when, when you get hold of that on a continual basis, you say, may God get the glory through Jesus Christ. May God get the, the glory through Christ to whom belongs dominion and power and authority forever and ever and ever. Amen. So, so this, this man, Joe DiMaggio, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, he played from 1936 to 1951 for the New York Yankees. Took one year out to serve in World War II. He was a lifelong, for those of you who like baseball, a lifelong 325 hitter. Lifelong, over 15 seasons. Amazing. In his 15-year career, he was on the All-Star team 13 times. Nine times he led the Yankees to a world championship. But baseball aficionados... Experts say that he set a record that will never be broken. They said, just, just, they said, I've read this time after time. In 1941, he hit safely in 56 straight games. And baseball people said that nobody will ever come close to touching that. Late in his career, he was asked, he was interviewed, and he says, you always play with passion. You always play with a sense of go get it. You never take a day off. You're, he says, why? And this is what he said. And I thought it was an incredible statement. He says, there may be someone there who has never seen me play before. That's before TV, of course, before, you know, every, every game was televised. He said, you know, there, there may be a kid there or an adult there who's never seen me play before, so I don't want to have a bad day. I just stepped back and I thought, you know, there's a guy named Kierkegaard who said the Christian always played to, to an audience of one, ultimately, one. But we're stewards. We're stewards. Good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says this, he says, slaves... Obey your earthly masters. In our day would say employees. Work hard before your employers. With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling? Why fear and trembling? Not because of, them, of your earthly bosses, but because you live before God. Listen to the rest of it. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. He says, you're not, you don't work your calling, your vocation. You're ultimately not answering to a board of directors or a boss, you ultimately live before God. If you, your full-time job is a stay-at-home mom and you're raising kids, you do it as under the Lord. 
We live life as unto the Lord. Not, not as I please. There's not a sycophantical people who crave the attention and the approval of a group of fallen people. No, we do it as unto Christ. So everything we do is shot through with dignity and, and hope and, and purpose. Everything. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That, that, that's, that's who we are. That's what we do. And we play to an audience of one. And so in this passage, he deals with two broad categories. He says, whoever speaks, let him speak as if it were the utterances of God. Now, that can be, some people interpret that to mean, especially in the area of teaching as an elder or a teacher, it can be interpreted that way. Others say it probably means that, but also means just in general, the way we we say things, the way we address people, the way we speak with dignity. And then the Bible, time after time, talks about the importance of speech and, and how important it is to, to speak grace. Colossians, let your speech always be with grace, season as if it were with salt. James 3 says, you know, with our tongue, we praise God and we curse man. He said, that should not be. And we should, week by week, say, Lord, let, let, let my lips speak the goodness of Christ. Let my lips speak grace to people. Let, let, let me bless people. Jesus says, from the overthrow of the flow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Do you bless people? Do you speak as if you were the utterances of God? Wow. There's a book called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. It's a wonderful book. Written by a physician named Meg Meeker. Every dad should read it. Especially a dad of daughters. It's a wonderful book. She says that she was a, a graduate, a college graduate, and trying to decide what to do with her life. She wanted to go to medical school. Her dad was a doctor, a pathologist. And she said she'd applied to several medical schools after her college graduation and had been rejected, and she didn't know she could go through the rejection again. She wanted to study for the boards again. And she said she was walking down the hall, and her dad was talking to a friend. And she said, my dad did not know I was walking down the hall. I just stopped and I listened. And my dad said to his friend, yes, my daughter is going to start medical school next year. We're just not sure where she wants to go yet. And she said, the fact that my daddy believed in me compelled me to go forward. Boy, it's good to have people who speak grace into your life. You know? Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. And he says this, whoever serves in any capacity, let him do so by the strength that God supplies. Just, that's, stop, stop, that's stewardship. Our strength comes from God. The next breath comes from God. Everything we have comes from God. Stewardship says everything we have comes from God. We are stewards. We're stewards. We want to be good stewards. The, 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 strength, the, the strength that God supplies. 
there's a hymn or a poem I've mentioned before by a guy named Henley. It's called Invictus. And the poem goes like this, out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And then he says, my head is bloody but embowed. And the third stanza, he says, beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. There's no eternal perspective. Then he says, it not, matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. He's flipping God off. Jesus says, narrow is the road and Small is a gate that many enter through. He says, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. There's no stewardship of life there under the watch care of God. There's a stewardship of me. It's a very brazen statement. And yet that hymn is celebrating our culture, but it's an anti-God hymn, an anti-God poem. Conversely, there's a poem in your worship guide from a man, a godly man, an Anglican preacher named John Dunn, who wrote Death Be Not Proud, but this is, my, I think, his favorite poem I've ever read. It's entitled, Him to My God in My Sickness. He thought he was going to die. He lived another 15 years after this. But he says this in the first stanza, since I am coming to that holy room where with thy choir of saints forevermore I shall be made thy music. As I come, I tune my instrument here at the door, and what I must do then, think here before. That's stewardship. I'm tuning my instrument at the door. I'm living with eternity in view. The next to the last stanza of the gospel. We think that paradise and Calvary, Christ's cross and Adam's tree stood in one place. Look, Lord, and find both Adam's meet in me. As the first Adam's sweat surrounds my face, may the last Adam's blood my soul embrace. Really quoting Romans 5. Just as through the first Adam, the first man sinned into the human race, through the second Adam, the Lord Christ, did salvation come to his people. That is the stewardship of life. It is responsible living under the hand of Christ. And so at the bottom, there's this little diagram. We live with the end in view, and as we do that, we love with purpose. And as we live with the end in view, we live responsibly, and all that flows up to glorify God with our being. You're, you've been called to serve. You've been called to something greater than yourself or your family. It's called the kingdom of God. You've been called to something that is significant and powerful and life-embracing. And as you walk in the glory of Christ, you live out as good stewards of the multiple, manifold, variegated grace of Christ poured into your life. Well, let's pray. Lord, we are your people and the sheep of your pasture, and we thank you for this day. And we ask that you would make us people who understand and embrace 
and rejoice in our high calling. Thank you that you called us unto yourself through the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you have given us yourself through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you that all of this reality points to the ultimate majesty and glory of Christ. Thank you in the fullness of time you became a man and died on the cross for our sins, fulfilling your promises throughout eternity. Blessed be the name of Christ. And so, Lord, we will live as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Not, not just as people who are kind of nice and are not offensive and maybe vote right most of the time and show up sometimes, but let us live with purpose. Let us live with dignity. Let us live with a sense of calling. Do that in our lives. Do that in the generations to come to the glory of your name. May you grow your kingdom and prosper your kingdom and destroy the works of the devil. May the gates of hell not prevail against the people who go forward in the name of Jesus with the gospel of our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. Is there a question?